Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you again to Hope Des Moines. My name is John Anderson. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, I am going to get a tan today. Thank you. This is going to be great. It is good to see all of you again. We want to uh, extend a special welcome uh, to those of you that are visiting today, uh, that this is your first time here. Uh, we love new people at Hope. We really, really do. We, we pray for you, and when we say that we believe it's no accident that you're here, we truly believe that. We spend time as a staff every single week praying for you. Right here, right now, in that chair that you're sitting in, we believe it's no, it's no coincidence. It's no accident. God has brought you to this place, and he has something real and powerful to do in our hearts today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, are you ready for spring? Yes. Man, am I ready for spring. The, the weather's just got to figure it out. I don't know. It feels a little weird to tell the God of the universe you need to figure it out, but, you know, he, he can handle it, I guess. He's God. But uh, just when you feel like you're getting there, right, we, we've, we've flirted with spring a little bit, I guess uh, you could say, then we have a day uh, like today. But is this supposed to snow tomorrow? That's what I heard. Oh, my word. I tell you what. So I have talked to so many people over the last couple of weeks, and I, I think every single one of them has kind of been the resounding talk as, oh, we are so ready for spring. And I think we all long for spring for a lot of different reasons. Um, some of us for those warmer temperatures, uh, maybe for a chance to get outside, maybe a spring break vacation. If you have kids and they're out of school, uh, you look forward to that. For me, I look forward to spring for one simple reason, March Madness basketball. Is anybody with me? It is, you know, around Christmas, like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know that song? No, it's March. It's the first couple weeks in March, uh, that, well, actually, really the whole month that this tournament is going on. I watch more TV in the month of March than I do the rest of the year combined, I think. I'm kind of a sucker uh, for basketball. They had a, a billion-dollar challenge. If you fill out the bracket, the tournament, every single game correctly, you win a billion dollars. Mine was messed up after the first game, right? Out of like 100 games, yeah. Anybody else fill out a bracket this year? Completely messed up uh, after the very, the very first game. But there's another part of spring that I think that we often overlook that's sometimes, well, all the time necessary, but we don't necessarily look forward to it, and that's spring cleaning. Is anybody planning on doing some spring cleaning or in the process of? Okay, more cleaners than basketball fans. That's interesting here today. Um, but you know, all the, all the clutter, all the dust, all the extra stuff that you've been accumulating over the winter months, it's time to make it exposed. It's time to bring all the stuff out of the closets, to go through the, the dirty parts of your house, to get rid of some old clothes that you don't wear anymore. Whatever it is, it's time to do some spring cleaning. In fact, we're in this season of the church here right now leading up to Easter, and it's called Lent, which literally means springtime literally means spring. And in a similar way, Lent is a time that the, the church has always set aside in the year to maybe expose to God's light and to his life some areas of our lives that maybe need some cleaning and some preparing of our hearts as we get ready for Easter. So my question for you as we start today, the question that was up on the screens earlier was, what would spring cleaning look like in your marriage? What would spring cleaning look like in your friendships? What would it look like to, to bring God's light and to expose some of the areas in your finances? Maybe in your prayer life. Just in your walk in general with God. What, would, what needs some spring cleaning? And no matter what comes to mind, the good news for all of us today is that Jesus comes to us today and he offers us his life, a fresh movement, a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives. And I don't know about you, but one of these last couple days this week when it did feel like spring, you know, and it was like 60 degrees, anybody get outside those days? And I don't know about you, but maybe like that first day of spring, you walk outside and one of the first things that you do is go, "Ah." and what does it smell like? It smells like spring. You can't like put your finger on it and say, it smells like puppies or rainbows. It just, right? It smells like spring, right? And you know that feeling of that fresh wind and that fresh breath that fills your lungs and you just feel refreshed and renewed? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today. In a much deeper sense, and not just in a physical sense, I believe that's what God's word does for us. Every time that we encounter God's word, every time that we encounter scripture, it's like that first day of spring when you walk outside and God fills your lungs with fresh air. That's the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think that we all long to experience that. God's word has that kind of power in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, if you haven't opened up yet, let's dig into God's word to Luke chapter 10. That's where we are today. And tell you what, if you don't have a Bible, like we said, grab one of those underneath the chairs. We would love for you to have that. We'd love for everybody to have a Bible out in front of you today. We're continuing our series, as you heard, called Jesus Stories, and we're focusing on the person of Jesus who lived and walked among us, and among many other things that Jesus was, as we learned last week and again this week with these parables, is that Jesus was an incredible storyteller. Does anybody love stories? Man, I love stories. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that stories resonate with our hearts. And there's a word that we use in Scripture for these stories. They're called parables. They speak to something much deeper than just what the story was about. And today we encounter one of the most well-known parables of all time. Who's heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Who's heard of that? Pretty much everybody, right? And if you, even if you haven't grown up in the church, you have probably heard of some sort of version of the story of the Good Samaritan. But what we often miss in this story is what's right before it. We miss the context. I don't know if you ever fall into this temptation, but you, you take a passage of scripture and you just pull it right out of the context for what the story for which it was written. You're like, oh, I know what that means. I can make, you can make any passage of scripture mean anything you want. But it's a part of a story, so we can't do that. You have to read it in the, what, what's before it and what's after it. Whenever you study God's word, make sure that you're doing that. And so the important thing for us today is really what comes before it, what actually led up to it. So look at verse 25. We're there in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Luke 10, 25. It says, one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty important question. In verse 26, Jesus replied, Don't you love this about Jesus? He never really answers the question. He's got to be one of the most annoying people to hang out with, right? Answer the question, Jesus, right? He's after something deeper, something much deeper, as we'll find out. So Jesus answers his question with a question. So what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus is asking, you take all the Old Testament laws, 600 and some of them, that's a lot to remember. I can't remember that many laws. I don't know about you. Jesus says, we're going to boil them all down, What is it that God really wants from us? What is the most important one? And so the teacher is right, and he answers in verse 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and, notice the and, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Right on, dude, Jesus says. Oh, wait, that's my version. Uh, Verse 28, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy, right? Jesus says, if you had to boil it all down, this is what it would be. And notice what we see. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what's the next word? It's three letters long. And. Everybody say and. Oh, say it like you mean it. And. And that's a big and. What is the, this, this is also known as the great commandment. Not commandments, commandment, meaning there's one. They go together. But wait a minute, Pastor John, it seems like there's two there. And is not here in addition to, it's a part of, attached to, inseparable. It's like two sides of the same coin. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like March and basketball. I mean, you keep going on, right? You, they go together, right? Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. They are together. In other words, when it comes to our faith, this is important, the whole rest of today is based on this idea. In our faith, there was never meant to be a separation between loving God with everything that we are and acting upon it in the way that we love others. There's never meant to be a separation in our faith between what we know in our minds, between what we believe in our hearts, and what we do with our hands, with our actions. Jesus is calling us to love God with all of our head, our heart, and our hands. Everybody take your hands off your Bible for a second and just free up your hands, kind of shake them out a little bit, right? Everybody do it with me. My head, my heart, and my hands. One more time. My head my heart, and my hands. Everybody's going to be walking around this week going like this, right? You may not memorize the verse, but you'll know that, right? Jesus says, love me with all of your mind, with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with everything that you do. Another way to think about it, I'm kind of a visual person. I like to do actions. I'm kind of a visual person as well. Imagine that we have three concentric circles. Jesus is saying today, I want you to love me with all of your head, with all of your heart, and with all of your hands, meaning what you do. So there's three different aspects, but all the, whoop, somebody can get that for me. All the same idea of loving God. Unfortunately, just because that's Jesus' call on our lives, it doesn't mean we always live like it's true. We pretend that we can sort of split it up and say, well, I'm just going to kind of live out here and just kind of let this faith thing be a mental or an intellectual thing. And other people say, well, it's just all about feelings and emotions. And if I, if I feel good and if I, if I really feel connected to God, well, then my faith is strong. And for other people, it's like, no, you just got to be busy for God. This is all about your hands. It's all about what you do. Are you, are you living out your faith? Go for it. Just do it. doesn't matter about the other, you know, mind, heart stuff. Just go do it. Just go serve God. But Jesus never meant them to be separated. They're all part of the same idea. So my question for you this morning is, when it comes, thank you, when it comes to your faith, how deep does it go? Are you moving from, I don't know what I believe, to I have some idea. I, I, I believe it. I, I, I know some ideas about God. I, I know the scriptures a little bit to, is it moving into your heart? And finally, are you doing something about it? How, how deep does your faith go if you 
look about it that way. Is it just a set of ideas? Or has it moved to something that's gripped you? Is it rooted down deeper in something inside? Or has it moved to action? Jesus says in our passage today to the religious expert, he says, God wants all of you. He wants all of you. Your what? Get ready. He wants all of you. Your, your head, your heart, and your hands. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's take them one at a time. Because for some of us, I'm guaranteeing that there's somebody here today that's living out here. And you're here today and you're not quite sure you wound up at Charles C. McGuire and Gymnasium. You thought you were coming to an elementary school choir concert. I'm sorry. Uh, welcome to church. Um, and you're out here. Uh, the donut holes are good, by the way. So come for the donut, stay for Jesus. Amen? So some of you are hanging out out here today. Some of you are hanging out in your head. Some of you are hanging out that's exactly where you're at today. Jesus calls, calls us to love him with all of our minds, and that's important. I think for the most part, as Americans, as Western Christians, we get this. After all, that we, we, we were birthed out of the age of enlightenment, where, where ideas were most powerful. That's what the Western world is all about. It's about ideas. It's about knowledge. It's about information. And we live in the information age, right? Anybody, anywhere can go to Google and find out information about Jesus, about who God is. You can know everything about him and yet never know him, right? If we stay in that outer circle. And yet all too often, I think it stays there. I remember a couple weeks ago, I, I told you some things that I've been realizing. It For those of you that weren't here, I want to recap that. It's something that I've realized about us as Iowans. Do you like being an Iowan? I like being an Iowan. Here's what, I, here's what I've realized my whole life here living in Iowa. Here's what I've realized, um, especially Iowans that are churchy folks like us. Uh, number one, we're really nice. Have you ever met somebody that's not like really nice? I mean, for the most part, we're really nice. Some people can be mean from time to time, but for the most part, we're nice. Turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? You're a really nice person. Just tell them that this morning. You're a really nice person for the most part. So number one, we're, we're really nice. Some of you are like, oh, that's the only compliment I've got all week. Thank you. Um, we're really nice. And you know what I've also realized about us as Iowans? Number two, for the most part, we're for God. I, I, I haven't met a lot of people that are just completely against God. We're, we're for God. And there's exceptions, but for the most part, we're for church. We're for Jesus. We're for KQ. We're for sending our kids to Sunday school. We're for small groups. We're fans of Bible studies. We're for serving. But one of our biggest struggles is well, we just don't really have time. I mean, you know, to, to get personally involved, you say, I, I, I'm for all those things and I, I'd like to get involved, but someday I will. And when it comes to having faith get so personal, you say, well, for me, it's more of a private thing. I'd like to just sort of keep it to myself in my own head. And for that matter, when it comes to any topic, for the most part, we're for it. I, I, I'm, I'm for it. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm for serving the poor. It's a great idea. I, I'm for giving sacrificially. I totally agree. Is Jesus worth following in every single aspect of my life and submitting every decision I make in my life to him? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But is all that for me? 
Well, I'm praying about it. I never thought I'd say this, but maybe it's time to stop praying about it and just do it. If God's word says it, we're called to be obedient, to love him with all of our head, heart, and hands. Somewhere there's a disconnect and we say, well, I'm just going to live out here and that there's a certain version of Christianity where I never have to engage my heart or my hands. There's a disconnect between knowing about God and knowing the Bible inside out, but it's never made its way here. It's never gripped you, which moves us to the heart. Some of you have made that jump and some of you are strictly living from within your heart. And that's great. And, and if you don't understand what that jump looks like, let me ask you this. Beyond just knowing it in your head about your faith, when's the last time that you were moved? When's the last time that something gripped you in your heart? Now, there's probably emotions associated with that, but what are some of those key times in your life when you felt completely in awe? Whatever was going on, right? For some of you, it was probably your wedding day, right? You remember that? Remember your wedding day? I see a lot of spouses elbowing each other. It better be. Kind of a highlight of your life, maybe. How about the birth of your first child? There's just that sense of, like, God is so good, right? This wasn't an intellectual thing. When I was holding my son in my arms for the first time, I wasn't thinking intellectually in my head, wow, this is a great experience. I was like, when have those moments been for you? Maybe it's a a sunrise or a sunset or staring at the stars or being on top of a mountain. Maybe it's a deep pain or a deep loss that you felt. It can be positive or negative, but when's the last time you were moved in your soul, in your heart? Maybe it was at the movies. You ever been at a movie and you get done and you're just sitting there and you don't want to leave the theater? Well, that happened to me recently. My wife and I, a couple months ago, we were trying to decide what movie to go to. And I was thinking we'd go to some, you know, guy movie. Because Tiffany really likes man movies. So we landed on the most masculine movie we could think of, the Mary Poppins uh, film, Saving Mr. Banks. Dudes, help me out here. So I'm sitting there, I'm all geared up, and we're going to Saving Mr. Banks, which is the story of how Walt Disney came to get the rights to the book Mary Poppins and make it into the movie, the musical that we were thinking of today. So I'm like, great, this'll, it's kind of a, you know, emotional chick flick, so Tiffany will probably be the one crying, and she'll be the mess, and, you know, I've heard of it, great, I can just kind of shut off my mind, and shut off my head, and really probably shut off my heart for sure, because it's Disney, and there's animation in it. There's no way this is going to get to me. Take a look at the trailer, and I just want to give you a two-minute glimpse of what we saw that night. Take a look. So I've got my popcorn, large, and I've got my pop. And 15 minutes in, I'm crying like a baby. Don't normally do that with Disney stories about flying nannies, but I was. 
because that's not what the film was about at all. And I'm not going to ruin it for you, but essentially the film is about the main character, the author of the book, it's about her broken relationship with her father. And when that relationship was redeemed, when there was healing and restoration at the end of the movie, um, I'm sitting there and I'm a mess. Uh, Tiffany's used to it. I get way more emotional at movies uh, than she does. But it's the end of the movie and this, the scene of restoration and healing is taking place and the music is swelling and I want to clap and, and cheer and I'm, just, I'm fully engaged. I mean, it was almost worshipful. You ever had one of those moments? And I'm not just talking about the movies. It was God working in my heart. And I thought, why is this getting to me? And I thought to myself, because I long for that with my, not my earthly father. I long for that kind of relationship with my heavenly father. And there's something in my heart that wants all of you to have that relationship with your heavenly father. And so I'm sitting there at Mary Poppins going, I got to preach about that now. (laughs) Funny how God's always trying to get our attention, isn't he? And so my heart is fully engaged and and it went from just being about emotions that I'm not just talking about emotions because some of you are, I'm not an emotional person. That's fine. I'm just wondering, have you ever let go of control? Have you ever let yourself be Undone. Oh, I, I knew all the information about the movie. Trust me. I read the reviews. I know all the information. But until I experienced it for myself, I didn't know what I was missing. And I wonder if that's what Jesus was after that day with the expert in the law. Hey, I'm so glad that you know all the Bible by heart. I'm so glad that you know it inside and out. Jesus says, but do you know me? Have you experienced me for yourself? When's the last time you were moved? Not by a great movie, but by the fact that God loves you exactly as you are today. How deep does it go? Or are you still hanging out out here? For many people, that, whatever it is, nine inches from here to here is the longest journey you'll ever take, isn't it? What if God's asking you to let go of trying to control everything about your faith today? Well, I'm going to come to Sunday worship, but I'm not going to let myself go. I'm not going to be one of those crazy people that raises their hands. I'm not, I'm not going to let my heart go. Jeez Louise, I'm a man for pity's sakes, you might say. We just don't go there. We don't do that. And a little bit of grace, I fully understand. Even for my dad, for many of your dads in those generations... Faith is a private thing, right? We don't get emotional about it. And guys, I want to speak to you just directly here for a second. The problem is that when we look at the men in the Bible, when we look at the real man's men in the Bible, they have an intimacy with God. 
When it came to worshiping, they weren't standing reading the lyrics on the screen. Their heart was fully engaged. I mean, think about it this way. I I don't know if you've ever read anything about David. You probably know, right? David and Goliath. But did you know David's heart? Let's read this together up on the screen. It's from Psalm 27, verse 4. This is what David says. Let's read it together. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Sounds kind of like sappy poetry, doesn't it? David was the general of an army. He was like Russell Crowe gladiator before there was Russell Crowe, right? What kind of a man's man writes something like that? Somebody that's moved from here to here. Somebody that's let themselves be passionately loved by God. And and guys, I want to challenge us for a second. I know we struggle with this. I lead some guys in a study, and I I challenge them. I said, the next time you pray out loud, I want you to call God Father. You might have thought I asked him to go jump off the Grand Canyon or something, right? Right? I'm supposed to address God in my intimate prayer as father? Oh yeah, and if you want to take it a step further, why don't you just call him daddy? Because that's what Jesus did. Well, that doesn't sound very manly. Jesus did it. And if he's our example, guys, what does that tell us about what it means to be a real man of God? And women, I'm not leaving you out of this either. Your prayer life, is it intimate? Do you, do you know God here, not just here? David says, I, I long for the beauty of the Lord. These men in scripture, they weren't just moved emotionally, but because they couldn't help it and, it, and it moved them to action. For David, it wasn't just, oh, this sappy romantic relationship with guys. Like, I go do something about it. The men of God, the women of God in the Bible were so moved by their time studying God's law, were so moved by their times of prayer that it moved from here to here to here. It's inseparable. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. I don't know when's the last time you were either reading scripture, that you were spending time with prayer in prayer with God, or you were here in worship, and you were so moved, not just in your head, but you were moved in your heart, that you were actually compelled to act. Wow, what a great sermon on serving. I should go think about that a little bit. What a great sermon on getting connected in a life group and and the fact that everybody needs community. I think I'm going to go pray about that. Okay. When's the last time that you were gripped by the love of God to where you had to act? To where you had to act? For me, about four years ago, I was sitting in the, this is funny to say, I was sitting in the principal's office here at Hubble, and we were asking our missions folks and myself, we're, we're just starting the church here, and we asked the principal, you know, what's, what are some ways that we can serve you? What are the biggest issues here in the school? And the first thing out of the principal's mouth was he said, over 60% of the kids that attend this school don't have a father in the home. 
That was on a Monday, and the Sunday before, I had stood in this very gym in the same school where that is the reality, and I stood here, and I worshiped God, and in the moment he said that, I said, I can't worship in this gym any longer until we do something about that. I, I can't just stand here every week and go through the motions and keep singing these songs and keep praying these prayers knowing that's the case. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Or is it just words on a screen? I, I can't keep going through the motions. I can't keep living out here. And in fact, I can't just live here. For some of you, that's where you're stuck. You're stuck right here in your heart because you come every week and you get all shooken up and you, and you have some amazing times of worship and you connect with God in prayer and hopefully the sermon's not too boring and you're moved by it. You're moved in your heart. And then you leave those doors and it's on with your busy life again. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. How deep does it go for you? How deep does it go? And so I went to our missions team and I said, we got to do something about this. Like tomorrow. Not I'm going to pray about it. Not I'm going to think about it. <laughs> God says, look after the orphan and the widow. He says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. I think that's them. I think that's these kids in this school that we worship in every week. And so we did something about it. And for the last three or four years, we've had dozens and dozens of you as Hope Des Moines members serving our kids and mentoring them every single week. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. And, that, and that's just one of dozens of things, But when we worship, there comes a point when we're a part of our community and you've been coming here for a while or whatever Hope Campus you attend and you are feeling loved and you're feeling welcomed and, and you're getting this great experience every week. There comes a point when it just sort of bubbles up inside of you and you really can't keep it to yourself anymore. Have you been there? Have you experienced that? Or are you just kind of in it for yourself these days? There comes a point when you have to act and move from your head to your heart to your hands, which brings us to the Good Samaritan. Oh, you thought I was going to just go out and help the person on the side of the road. Well, do that. But until this is oriented in your life, you're just going to run around being busy for God and trying to earn his love by being a Good Samaritan. You don't need to be a Good Samaritan to earn his love. You already have it. You be a Good Samaritan because he's loved you so extravagantly. You can't help but keep it to yourself. Amen? So we got to get this figured out. I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to know your identity so that when you go and serve and now we start talking about what we're going to do with our hands, it is rooted in a heart that is on fire for Christ. That's what it has to be rooted in. So we take a look at this right after Jesus says we're called to love our neighbors. Look at verse 29. So we're back to the story. Look at verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I, I don't, you never get a lot of like sarcasm or sass in the Bible, right? I'm sure none of you have sass in your life, right? Sass goes like this. And who is my neighbor, right? I'm not sure if the religious leader had sass, but I think he had sass, right? So he's trying to be all cute and outsmart Jesus. The problem is he's staying out here, isn't he? What are the technicalities? Let's do some biblical exegesis. Let's unpack the text. What does neighbor really mean? Jesus says, just go love somebody. 
yeah, if you want to go to seminary and be some pastor nerd, great. But you know what the best part of my seminary experience was? Coming back here and serving with all of you. Because this is really, really important. And we need to know the scriptures. We need to know the stories. And that's why I went to school for four years to know about it. But you know where faith gets really exciting? Here and here. (laughs) But it's got to move in that progression. So yes, do you know the stories, but have the stories gotten to you? The, 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 The leader, the religious leader here is caught up in the analysis that he's missing the point of just go passionately love somebody. You might call it paralysis by analysis. And some of you, that's where you are today. Some of you may not realize it, but you're stuck in your heart. You come every week and you have emotional experience after emotional experience and you come up for prayer and you pray about it, but then you go back and you don't do anything with it. Jesus says, I didn't come to give you more ideas, I came to tell you a story. And so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. You heard it read, but essentially this Jewish man, and that's important, this Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by bandits. They strip him of his clothes, beat up, leave him half dead at the side of the road. And so there's three people that come along, and the first two are the people that to Jesus' audience of the Jewish religious leaders of the day, you would think would do something. Do something. Anything. Right? The first one is a priest. And you all know about priests. You've got to watch out for them, right? The second one is a temple assistant, right? Almost a priest. Pretty religious dude. Nothing. Nothing. They don't do anything. Two people that according to Jesus' audience, you think would have done something. They know the scriptures by heart, and here is a perfect opportunity to do something about it, and they don't do anything. And so by telling the story this way, Jesus is simply saying, let's stop arguing about technically who is our neighbor. What I want to know today, and what Jesus is asking you today, is does your heart break for people that are broken, that are hurting, that don't know Jesus? I'm not just saying, have you thought about it? I'm saying, have you ever let that like undo you? I'm wrecked at the thought of the fact that there are people living in the neighborhood here around Hubble that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home. It's not because I want a big church. It's because Jesus wants people to be connected with him. Jesus desperately wants people to know that they're loved. That's why I always tell you, invite people. (laughs) That's why we tell you to get plugged in, to get connected, to serve, to get to know other people, to invite your friends, to invite your coworkers, to invite your family. It's because it's what's on God's heart. And until what's on God's heart becomes what's on our heart, it's just a bunch of empty religious motions. We never do anything about it. The deeper issue here is that we can actually do Bible study our entire lives and yet be unfaithful to the scriptures. If we think that the point of Bible study was the study of scriptures themselves instead of learning to live like it's true. Often I talk to life groups where I'm working with life groups all over Hope Now that have come out of this core class and we're talking to them. And something that we've been challenging many of your groups and life groups all over the campuses at Hope is I ask them, you know, how's it going? How's, how's your group going? Uh, what are you studying? And they say, oh, we just got done with a 52-week, I guess that'd be a year, we got done with an 80-week study, I'm just exaggerating here, on the disciples of Jesus. 
We studied every disciple of Jesus. We filled in all the blanks. We know all the information. Man, we're ready for our next book study. And I say, oh, that's awesome. Uh, How many people in your group are being discipled by somebody? And how many people in your group are actively pouring their lives into others and discipling them and raising them up so they can go start their own groups? Oh, I didn't think about that. You did an 80-week study on how Jesus worked with his disciples, and that's as far as it went? Did anything about that grip you? Like how well Jesus loved? No. How's, how's your group going? Well, we just finished a 15-week study on prayer. It was awesome. Man, I, I got all the blanks filled in. It was great. Okay, when's the last time you, you, you prayed for the city or you prayed for somebody out loud, like with them, right on the spot? Oh, we, we didn't mean we were actually going to like pray for people. We were just doing a study on it. Oh. Okay. If that's where you want to hang out. <laughs> but you missed the adventure. You missed the point. To think that maybe the best way to learn about discipleship is to disciple. To think that maybe the best way to learn about prayer is to pray. Even if you have no idea how. James chapter 1 verse 22 puts it this way. Let's see it up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I don't know how much more clear it gets than that. And don't get me wrong, loving with God with all of our minds and all of our hearts is extremely important. And I want you to hear this today. One circle is not somehow better than the next. You're saying, oh, I, I'm serving Jesus. So I'm better than all the other people. No, that's not the point. We're doing all of them simultaneously. In fact, knowing the scriptures and letting God pour his love into our hearts is the very foundation from which we live. But here's the thing. You can't give away what you don't have. I want you to give out of abundance, not of desperation. You can't give away what you don't have. Quite possibly, I want you to follow me here, look back at the story, the most powerful line of the whole parable, the most convicting line is verse 31. Look at it with me, it's verse 31. Speaking of these two guys that just walked right on by. Look at verse 31. He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Don't get me wrong. These guys have a faith. They're very religious, but they've developed what I've called a pass-by faith. Everybody say pass-by. The love of God hadn't made the journey to grip their heart, to bring them to a place of compassion. I think if we're not careful, we fall into the same temptation to let it stay here and we never engage to be fans of everything of Christianity, but never do anything about it, of whatever God is calling you to do today, of getting your hands dirty. Well, you know, uh, um, whatever that thing is, it's growing in prayer, it's growing in community, it's plugging in, it's making weekly worship a priority, whatever it is, and we say things like, oh, you know, it's not really a good time in my life. Pass by. You know, I'm really, really, really busy right now. I can't really pass by. You know, we got all these activities for the kids and our weekends are just really full. Pass by. You know, I'm all for serving the poor. I'm all for helping out. But man, it's just kind of a messy situation. I'll just 
pass by. I don't know what that is for you today. But in a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate what's called Monday Thursday. Monday coming from the Latin word mandate, meaning Jesus giving us the mandate to love. Love deeply. The God of the universe is going to get down. I don't know if you've checked how grimy your feet are recently, but imagine walking around Des Moines for this week without shoes. Jesus gets down on his feet and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to get my hands dirty. <laughs> and Jesus washes the feet of his followers and then he gives us this mandate, not a suggestion, but a mandate as in if you're a follower of me, we serve. That's what we do. It's not a suggestion, it's a mandate. Love as I have loved you. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's not a suggestion, it's not a when you have time, it's not when it works out with your schedule, it's a mandate. Love, serve, get involved in community. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. So do you have a pass-by faith? Or is it time to engage? Which finally brings us to our friend, the Samaritan. To understand how scandalous this story is, you have to understand that for many years, Jews and Samaritans, they have this, this hatred for each other, this distaste for each other. To, to, to good Jews, the thought of a Samaritan doing anything godly was laughable. And so we get to the end of the story, and it says, verse 33, even, even in the story, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. I'm sure that our friend Bob the Samaritan had it in his head that this would be a good thing to do because they meet for Samaritan Bible study on Tuesday night at Bill's house and they'd studied a whole book, 22 weeks, about serving people in need. And here God puts in front of them this perfect opportunity. And it says he felt compassion, meaning with passion. He was moved in his heart, and they, he let it go to his hands. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. A Samaritan helping a Jew? Uh, let me put it in Iowa terms for you. This is like a hot, well, I guess the hot guys are done, but this is like a Cyclone fan driving home from the NCAA tournament, and they get stranded on the side of the road, and some North Carolina fans who they're playing today beat up the Iowa State fans, and there they are laying on the side of the road with a flat tire, and they're all beat up, and there come the Hawk fans driving by on the side of the road. Hmm, should I do anything? Yeah. Jews and Samaritans, Hawkeyes and Cyclones. This doesn't make any sense in the eyes of the world. It must have been so inconvenient. Serving people is so inconvenient. It doesn't fit in my schedule. It doesn't fit in my nice Palm Pilot calendar. Does anybody have a Palm Pilot? In my smartphone calendar, right? It doesn't fit in there. But maybe, maybe what God wants us to also see from this story is that the interruptions in our schedules are actually the very things that God is using to get our attention. So the next time you get interrupted, the next time you're that annoying person that comes up to you and wants to have a conversation with you, hashtag Jesus stories. So that's my challenge to you this week. Tell us about it. In fact, Jesus says, love your neighbor, serve your neighbor. Do you know your neighbor? If you don't know your neighbor, get to know your neighbor this week. 
If you know your neighbor, serve your neighbor this week. Hashtag Jesus stories. And the story ends like this. Verse 36. Now which of, Jesus asked, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, verse 37, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, now go and do a Bible study about it. Oh, wait, no. Um, At some point, it's probably good, what does Jesus say? Go and do the same. Like this afternoon. Like tomorrow. Like this week. Does Jesus ever answer the question? Not in the way that they want. You can spend your whole life arguing about Scripture, or you can just go do it. And this parable, like none other, drives us into our neighborhoods, into our blocks, into our existing networks of relationships. And so my question for you is, flip your bulletin over. I hope maybe your notes are filled up, but that little section right there, and there's a part that says, my next step. So I want to ask you, what's your next step today? This afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, what's your next step? And chances are, it's going to have something to do with engaging your faith in your head, your heart, or your hands. For some of you, you need to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. So your next step is going to be going to Bible study at Breakfast Club here next week before worship. For some of you, it's going to be joining a life group and growing deeper in your faith. For some of you that need to engage God in your heart, the next time that we worship, I want you to just let yourself go. I want you to not worry about what everybody else is doing around you. Some of you just need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And just go back to when you were a little kid and you had that joy and that innocence. That's your next step. For some of you, your next step is in your hands to go do something about it. And that's why on your seat today, on every single seat, is a brochure that says join a team. And that's everything that we do here at Hope Des Moines. Find something, call us, email us. This afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. There are teams waiting to be started. There are ministries waiting to be led. You are called. 